Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. All right, everyone. No formal introduction tonight. We got a lot of news on deck. There's no time for formal introductions here. We're going to keep it real. We're going to keep it transparent. It's the ultimate Virginia Tech thing to do when everyone else is settled, when the college football season ends, the national championship comes to a close. Everyone's gearing up for 2020. Virginia Tech on the cusp of maybe the greatest year under Justin Fuente, but no. But no. Rumors swirling around. Justin Fuente might be heading to Baylor. Pete Thamel reported yesterday that Justin Fuente is a leading candidate for Baylor. Shocking news. I mean, this podcast was supposed to be about Ryan Smith, about a few guys maybe declaring for the NFL. I was I was going to say yesterday we were texting about this podcast and you were and we were talking about doing segments and all this stuff and wondering if we had enough content. And you jinxed us and you said, well, after this one, we'll be good to add some segments and stuff because you you thought this was going to be the last like settle down podcast with a bunch of news relating to Ryan Smith and Dalton Keene and a couple other (laughs) items that happened. And then it all blew up. And now the state of the program in complete flux. Justin Fuente, completely in ghost mode right now, has his do not disturb on his phone. Nobody can reach him. Nobody knows what's going on. Rumors swirling around everywhere. I think I've talked to every civilian in Waco, Texas today. Phone's been blowing up. I'm sure it has for you too, Doug. But let's just get into it, man. I mean, this is the biggest news story from from what the program was supposed to be just automatically all that life sucked out in one moment by one Pete Thamel tweet. I mean, we've talked for months on here about 2020, 2021 being Justin Fuente's time that they went through 2018 and went six and seven. They go through 2019, finish eight and five, but it was all building towards what 2020 would become. (laughs) And in one tweet or one one interview now, I guess, down in Waco, Texas, all that's up in the air. So since Frank Beamer retired, that's we've gone through four football seasons since then. And and it kind of feels like everything that's happened over the last four years is is up in the air and uncertain. And um, I don't know if that this is the you're you're essentially on a roller coaster 
and you're going all the way up and you're about to hit the peak and you're about to go down this huge roller coaster, experience the drop, experience the euphoria of just going down that roller coaster. But it's like the conductor just halted it while you're at the top and you're just stuck there wondering what's going to happen next. Piggybacking off this, you would expect the stop to come at the top. Like, that's when you would expect them to stop it. This is like the conductor stopping it, like, just as you go over the edge. <laughs> it's like, well, well, nobody saw this coming um, with regards to the timing. Fuente to Baylor. How real is this? I think, <laughs> judging by the reactions on social media, on the board, this is a very realistic possibility. Again, we've reached out to a lot of the guys over at the Baylor site. They've confirmed that he is a candidate. I think the extent to how much he's favored by Baylor right now, right now it's the Virginia Tech side that's overblowing it. But Doug, just initial thoughts on this whole thing. I mean, it's just craziness. Uh, a couple things. Number one, Pete Thamel is the reporter SI who got it. And he's about as connected as it comes when it when it comes to these things and his exact words were that he's considered the leading candidate. So I think it's as far as whether he's going to take it, I think it's pretty clear that they want him. Seeing that tweet at seven I think it was seven twenty two last night is when he sent it, but pretty surprising only in that the, the timing is the thing that is the most shocking, the most confusing, if you want to say that. It's just, you wouldn't expect this to happen in the middle of January. I think if if this had happened in December when the normal coaching carousel had been happening, you would be a lot more understanding of, of, of it. I mean, Baylor's, a, Baylor's in Texas. It's about five and a half hour drive from Justin Fuente's hometown. It's in the Big 12 where Fuente played and, and coached under Gary Patterson at TCU, so he's familiar with the Big 12. I think I think if Fuente was going to take another job, we all, we all thought it would be a Big 12 program eventually. So if it happened in December, like you would have been like, oh, that makes a little bit of sense. But now that we get into January, it's it's completely surprising. And, you know, they're having planning meetings for 2020. He hired four or five new assistant coaches. I mean, it's just completely, completely out of the blue. And when you think about all that's transpired since really the Belk Bowl, or I guess since the end of the year when they started hiring assistant coaches. In respect of the timeline, the reason it's happening now, Matt Rule, the former coach at Baylor, left for the Carolina Panthers last week. So everything's moving very quickly right now. Justin Fuente moving very quickly in this interviewing process and clearly not taking the time to text anyone back at Virginia Tech. Uh, just one more side note. We are recording this on Wednesday night. And there's a rumor out there that... During the Baylor basketball game, which begins at 8 p.m., which is in 24 minutes for us. 8 p.m. Central? 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so in 24 minutes, there's a Baylor game on. There's a rumor that they're going to leak who the next head coach of Baylor is going to be so that they can slab it all over ESPN and generate all the headlines. If anything breaks during this podcast, I'll insert a siren or something, some sound effect. But Doug and I might cut each other off if we see any breaking news. Yeah, I've got TweetDeck up. I think Matei's got it up too. I think 
but <laughs> you normally put your phone on do not disturb for these things um but it's all hands on deck if <laughs> if somebody tweets something out during this volume 10 <laughs> back to fuente let's operate under two assumptions the first assumption being he's leaving this one seems like the most likely outcome from this scenario just because of how long he's been in the dark but moving forward the impact of justin fuente leaving it has a profound impact on next year 2020 again we said this is supposed to be the year that there's heavy contention for the coastal crown getting a chance at clemson depending on what the record's going to be you know maybe you have that shot at the playoffs i'm that's far fetched but Overall, the expectation was a 9-3, and 10-2 season, which is pretty absurd. The staff. The staff was just completed yesterday. <laughs> On Tuesday, three hours later, the Pete Thamel tweet comes out. Recruits. They are supposed to enroll tomorrow night. <laughs> I mean, can you Im- just imagine this? I mean, the Texas guys, poor guys, are flying and... What must be on their minds right now? They have no idea who their coach is going to be. I mean, this this tells you just how serious Justin Fuente is about it and just how how much he wants to take the job at Baylor. I don't think he interviews. I don't think he takes an in-person interview in Waco a day or two before <laughs> recruits arrive. I mean, you got Alec Bryant coming. You got um, Blackshear coming, the transfer from Rutgers that we'll get into maybe briefly later if we can <laughs> get all, if we can get off with day for a little bit but i mean um and then you got all the players coming back along with them to begin you know getting after it for 2020 and so 100 percent indicative of what justin fuente thinks about this job opportunity and you know a huge impact on what expectations are going to be i mean it just throws everything up in the air you can no longer assume that certain players will return. And, you know, I think we were expecting attrition from just in general um, over the next, you know, before next year, at least. But when you lose your head coach, clearly that opens an avenue for players to transfer and some will take advantage of that. Um, and if if he were to leave, Whit Babcock would have to move quickly to get a coach in to try and secure you know, first the current players that are going to play next fall, but also the recruits coming in and all that. So um, it's it's like this state of flux now, where everything that we thought and analyzed and you know predicted and all of that is just completely thrown out the window, um, at least until this is resolved. And a few of the recruits reached out. They said they're solid in their commitments. They're solid in their binding letters of intent. We'll see how true that is. I mean, right now there's a a lot of support for the players in the program. Currently, the recruits coming in. uh, Demetrius Davis is one of them that, you know, would be coming in in a year. He's a guy that showed support for Virginia Tech, regardless of the situation with Justin Fuente. But right now, those are words. Those are, you know, meaningless into what their actual intents are. I don't want to discredit them and take away, you know, the positivity because right now it's a very negative space in Virginia Tech football, um, social media. But I mean, there's so much that 
will happen with this team. And you just have to imagine it, it could be upwards of 30% of the roster uh, in, in regards to attrition. Yeah, players go to schools now to play for coaches. They don't go to... And rarely they will go because they love Virginia Tech so much. They're going to play football for Justin Fuente, going to play football for Bud Foster. That's why his retirement was such a big deal. It's great to hear that they're still saying they're solid to Virginia Tech, but particularly a guy like Davis, Texas kid, people are going to be calling him from now until signing day of next year. So um, that's a that's a perfect example of a re-recruitment that whoever the new coach would be if Fuente leaves will have to. I mean, it's a completely new relationship. You're not gonna he's not gonna be solid to Virginia Tech if he doesn't like the new coach. So there's just no way to tell at this point. Justin Fuente at the forefront of preaching for 2020 and 2021, saying those are going to be the special years. There's video clips of him. You can find it now potentially jumping ship for Baylor. Why Baylor over this Virginia Tech program that is finally in the place where Justin Fuente wants it to be? Or is that just a a public perception and maybe he's not as confident in next year's team? Or is this just too good of an opportunity to turn down. I think it's a, a little bit of everything there. Um, I think right now Baylor is the better program than Virginia Tech. Um, since since 2011, which I think was 2010 or 2011, which is when Art Bryles um, first became head coach there. Since then, they've won 10 games five different times. Um, they've nearly made the college football playoff twice which is exponentially more times Virginia Tech has been sniffing around the playoff. Um, and they did this with two different coaches sandwiched around a rape scandal that forced them to basically bottom out. Um, they lost all their players, all their scholarships, all that kind of stuff, and they went 1-11 in that rules first year. Two years later, they're back battling for the college football playoff. So it's a program that... It's clearly committed to being um, committed to being good at football, considering they were atrocious before our Bryles took over. They made the investment to be good there, go through the scandal. They keep the investment up to be good under Matt Rule to return from a 1-11 year. So I think the support there is probably more in line with what Justin Fuente is looking for based on based on the last 10 years. Can Virginia Tech be a better program than Baylor? Should Virginia Tech be a better program? Probably, absolutely. Um, When you look at what Baylor was before 2011, um, Virginia Tech certainly has the resources and and the potential and the history and all that to be as good, if not better, than Baylor, but not right now. So I think you look at that, I mean... Justin Fuente looks at a going to a team. He's looking at going into a team that went eleven and three this year and was really one game away from being in the playoff. Um, one win over Oklahoma away from being in the playoff. So clearly ready made to win. Rules probably left them in pretty good shape. Um, and then we've talked about it. Justin Fuente coming back in twenty twenty. Yes, it's the the year that everybody has circled. 
but it's also the year where if he goes eight and four, seven and five again, he's, you know, probably done. I think there would be a lot of people calling for him to be fired at that point. So his options now at this point would be stay at Virginia Tech, risk it, hope that you meet expectations next year, which you talked about were very high, um, nine and three, 10 and two type expectations. Or go to Baylor where you probably get three to four years of stability. He's really coaching for his job over the next 12 months. It's a lot of instability for him and his family and all that. Or you can go hit the reset button at Baylor, get three to four years, be closer to home, all that. So I think it comes down to Baylor being a better football program and being more committed to being a winning football program right now. But then you factor in the job security and the being closer home and all that as secondary reasons. Yeah, a few more things to add on to that. The first being money. Baylor has a ton of money. Great athletics program. Number two in basketball right now. And, you know, finished in the top 10 in the AP poll for football. So this is an athletic program committed to excellence. And they're quietly very, very good. I, I mean, when you think of Baylor, considered the third best program in texas you think of texas and texas a&m over them i feel like when you're talking about justin fuente he's not this guy that likes to be in the limelight he's not a guy that you know when you think of all these coaches Dabo sweeney you know a lot of these guys they enjoy being in that spotlight they enjoy having all that pressure on them justin fuente seems like a guy that he chose virginia tech because it was low-key because he could have quiet success there and baylor feels like a program where you can have quiet success you know they're a top 10 team and maybe it's just my perception because i'm not in the state of texas but they're not talked about amongst the other programs elite programs yeah, I completely agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head. Baylor is in Waco, which is not a big city. I mean, if this was a Texas job you're talking about in in Dallas, you know, a TCU, even Houston right now, um, obviously University of Texas in Austin and then College Station with the SEC and A&M, um, those are your big jobs with a lot of pressure and a lot of um expectations baylor is pretty close in terms of like expectations and what kind of life around town you'll probably have as the football coach they're not gonna you know it's going to take a lot for them to write for the papers to come after you and stuff like that as opposed to somewhere in like dallas houston or austin or something like that the other thing i think you just I was talking about it in your mention of their basketball program being number two in the country. They've been pretty good now for, you know, probably about as well as long as they've been good at football. So Baylor is probably the most scandal ridden program in in NCAA's history in terms of how awful their scandals have been. They had a basketball scandal probably 20 years ago now i think it was in like 2003 where they had one basketball player murder another basketball player they had a rape scandal where they were shoving rapes under the rug just a handful of years ago and now they've got a really good basketball program and a really good football program so i think that shows you just how committed they are to being a good athletic program in terms of 
investing the money to recover from those scandals and be good football programs. They were terrible in basketball too, after that scandal for years and years. Um, but they eventually made the commitment to be a good football program or a good basketball program and football program. Two more things. If Justin Fuente leaves Virginia tech, let's assume the chapters closed his era at Virginia tech over empties out his office tomorrow announces the Baylor head coach. What on earth are we going to make of his legacy? Because he comes in, he takes, you know, the argument is he takes Frank Beamer's guys and inserts Gerard Evans, changes the system with Brad Cornelson, goes all the way back to the ACC championship game, plays Clemson close within a touchdown. They're the eventual national champions. But then each year after goes nine and four with Josh Jackson, loses in the Camping World Bowl. Goes six and seven, one of the worst seasons in 25 years. All the The, transfers. The worst season in 25 years. The worst season in 25 years. All the transfer portal entries, the closed door meeting, culture change, headlines galore of all the negative things. Then comes back in 2019, this past year, goes two and two, worst home loss in what, 60 years uh, to Duke, 45 to 10 makes that decision to put in Hendon Hooker, things go right, but then he loses the Commonwealth Cup. I mean, like, each year. And I didn't even mention that you have the old Dominion loss sprinkled throughout. You have the Syracuse <laughs> loss in 2016, Georgia Tech three times in 2016, 17, and 18. I mean, there's a lot of bad things. There's a bunch of good things, I guess, but overall... One in three in bowl games, 33 and 20 overall in 20 and 12 in the ACC. He really didn't establish Virginia Tech to the heights that Virginia Tech experienced under Frank Beamer. So what on earth do we make of his legacy? He doesn't have one. Um, he, he covered everything. The first coach in 15 years to lose the UVA. First coach in 25 years to lead the team to a losing record at six and seven in 2018 lost old dominion he made one acc championship at a during a stretch where every single coastal team has made an acc championship over the last seven years um there's no legacy right now and then and you could argue even that year in 2016 was done with exclusively but uh frank beamer players um so he doesn't have a legacy by leaving now. He ensures that, uh, you know, 2020 and 2021, what we've been talking about would have been his opportunities to begin to build his legacy one way or the other. Right now, he's kind of leaving. If he leaves, it's going to be an incomplete legacy, if not a negative legacy. And and that's his choice. He's kind of just cutting it off. And, you know, I don't think he's a guy that particularly the way he's leaving will not be if he leaves will not be remembered fondly at all. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think if the signature game under Justin Fuente would be something like Florida State or if it would be something like the battle at Bristol where he's losing or Old Dominion, you know, it's like when you think about his coaching, I'm leaning towards his signature game or what he's going to be remembered for is the bad things. It's the I mean his signature wins are um, Notre Dame at Notre Dame, beating them 
they were four West Virginia and Florida State. West Virginia and then Florida State, who was terrible. Yeah, I think right now, if he left at this point, it would be a is negative legacy the right <laughs> right word? It wouldn't be a good one. He's making this choice clearly not based on whatever he wants his legacy to be. All right, final thing. I I like playing this game. I like playing the coaching carousel game. You know, who would come in if Justin Fuente leaves? Maybe it's not fair to do it when he hasn't officially left yet. Still five minutes till the game. Nothing on Twitter yet. Nothing on Twitter. <laughs> That's the update. Live update. <laughs> but let, let's just discuss some potential candidates. If, if Fuente leaves, who would Whit Babcock bring in? First name I got on the list. Luke Fickle at the University of Cincinnati. Won a bunch of games. Actually beat Virginia Tech in the Military Bowl last year. I guess in 2018. Uh, he's a guy that was at Ohio State. So he knows what it's like to be at a big Power 5 program. Consistently been a ranked team at Cincinnati. Had, a, had really good teams these past two years. What would you think if Whit Babcock flexes his Cincinnati ties where he was the former AD and brings in a guy like Luke Fickle? I like Luke Fickle. I think he's kind of got a little bit of that Fuente career path um, that probably people are concerned about. And, you know, Cincinnati, not exactly a powerhouse program, and you could make not playing great competition, blah, 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 all that. But um, he spent looks like 14 years at Ohio State, finishing up as um, their co-defensive coordinator before he took over at um, Cincinnati. But, I mean, he's clear. I think he's you spend that long at Ohio State, which who has been a top football program for all of those years. I think you're a pretty good, pretty good coach. Um, he's 46, so he's young and all that stuff. So I think he's got a lot of going for him. I think the big negative with him is that he's kind of like Fuente's resume. Um, so I'd be I'd be fine with him with that. I think I think Evan has posted a couple times that he's seen Fickle being one of the leading candidates. So I think he's a guy that would fit. The next name on the list, and we've been hearing a lot about this guy, Will Healy, thirty-four years old. Richmond guy played at Air Force and then transferred to Richmond. Currently coaches at Charlotte. Not the most impressive resume. A very young guy, very energetic. Coaches across the nation have taken into account what he's done and say that he translates to a major Power Five program. Um, what would you think if Virginia Tech went in this direction? Again, very unproven, but a guy that's different from Fuente, maybe more energetic, maybe more open to the media, would generate a lot of hype for the program. Yeah, and he's the kind of, um, this would be your like taking a risk on a potential superstar coaching prospect before anybody gets, gets, his, gets to him, anybody else gets to him. I mean, he's 34 years old. Um, has been the head coach at Austin P and Charlotte, which I guess he was the head coach when Tech played Austin Pay recently. Um, I feel like Tech played them fairly recently. Um, but he spent one year now at the FBS level with Charlotte, who was previously um, terrible 
<laughs> and uh, you know they just recently started their FBS program. I think he's the second coach in their history, but in his first year, he takes them seven and six. They lost the Bahamas Bowl, but that's what kind of got him on the radar. Um, so he's the kind of guy where I think it would be difficult to fully be confident about that hire. Um, but also he's like, he's like a PJ Fleck hire. Um, you know, PJ Fleck was a charismatic young coach who had a boatload of success at, um, Western Michigan and then Minnesota took the chance on him and that's paid off for him. So that's kind of what this hire would be. And, um, it'd be a risky hire, but, um, if you think he's good enough, it might be worth it. The thing I really like about him, not only is he young, not only is he energetic, but he takes over programs that aren't in the best of shape. So I think that kind of hurts him because his overall coaching record is 20 and 27, but he takes over an Austin pay team that won one game in four years. And then he guides them to an eight and four mark. So he's a guy that wants to turn around programs uh, and, and then goes to Charlotte again, historically not a very good program. Um, and leads them to a bowl game. The second thing I really like, because he's young, because he's unproven, he's making around 700K. He's not a guy that's going to command a large salary such as Justin Fuente's $4 million. Maybe you get him at you know a very good rate, $2 million, two and a half, and then all of a sudden you fill in the rest of the coaching staff with proven coordinators, maybe pay some big-name guys to come in, maybe buff up the recruiting staff. I think it could be an overall good hire for Virginia Tech. So here's the problem with that approach is that, and this, this is the problem with this timing of Justin Flint. It's January. That, it's Jan- who are you going to get to, um, you know, if you're maybe if you're willing to pay a million bucks each for an offensive-defensive coordinator, you're going to be able to, to get those guys, but I don't, that's not a guarantee. So it's, it's totally going to come down to, um, where, what, what the interview is and who he can convince you that he can bring on board. I'm, I'm, I'm cautious about him being able to bring on a good staff when he's spent his coaching career at Chattanooga, at Austin P, and at Charlotte, I, 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 I wonder about his connections and who's going to sign up to to coach with him no matter how much money you threw at him. I think one thing that I think is really impressive is that he coached Austin P to a, his third year there. He went 0-11 the first year, 8-4 and the second year, and then 5-6 and the third year. So they weren't that great their third year, but Charlotte still took a chance on him, which means, you know, I think people are pretty high on him as a head coach and and they were willing to take that chance. He impressed them enough, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Charlotte's a FC or G five program, all that. But, um, you know, I think anytime you can convince a higher level program to hire you after a five and six year, there's clearly some buzz about you as a, you know, up and coming coach. So those are the two names I've heard most about. Of course, this is all speculation. Until something happens, you can't really move on. But you have to imagine Witt's calling everyone right now. Um, Two other guys I want to add to the list. Maybe these are fan pipe dreams. But Shane Beamer. We all know Shane and his punching bag is 
as the uh, running backs coach, but uh, or punching glove, I should say. But Shane Beamer coming back to Blacksburg, maybe being an Ed Ogeron light kind of guy, a guy that just loves the state of Virginia, has experience now at Georgia, Oklahoma. He's seen the college football playoffs. He's been a key member of both those programs, programs actually. But <laughs> how would you feel if Shane Beamer were to come back to Blacksburg? Do you think that would generate the type of buzz that Virginia Tech wants to get over the hump? It would certainly generate the buzz. Um just by his last name, I think everybody, at least on the surface, would love that hire and love giving him a chance. The local kid, I mean, you talked about loving the state of Virginia, but um, <laughs> loving Southwest Virginia in particular, um, coaching as all mater, I think you wouldn't have an issue convincing him to come back. I just... I would worry about this hire for a few reasons. Number one, his assistant coaching tenure didn't end on the highest note, um, particularly with his recruiting in Richmond, which would be an interesting hurdle to deal with. Clearly, I think he you could hire the staff to, to, to fix that probably. Um, I think also... He, he leaves Virginia Tech and goes to Georgia, bounces quickly to Oklahoma, gets a lot of credit for coaching under Lincoln Riley. I'm sure he's learned a lot there. Gets a little bit of credit for coaching under Kirby Smart, but he didn't. He hasn't really been there for that long, so um, he didn't stay at Georgia very long. Um, he's not sticking at Oklahoma, but I just wonder if if Tech, just like Healy, can build the staff that they need to to take this thing to the next level or is it going to be your Virginia Tech guys that um, I think a lot of people think that they aren't good enough recruiters and all that stuff to really take Virginia Tech you know, to where they want to go so we'll see I think I would prefer Shane Beamer to go and prove himself as a head coach anywhere somewhere else um at least in the beginning, before you hire him back as a head coach. Shane Beamer is a Virginia Tech alum, grew up around the program. If you need him in the future, he'll be there and will take the job. But I don't know if, you know, if you're if you're somebody who was railing against Justin Fuente hiring inexperienced assistant coaches with no recruiting background, I don't think you can support a Shane Beamer hire with no head coaching experience. Again, this is Michael Vick. This is Kirk Herbstreit. This <laughs> you is bring it on, bring it on. Marty Smith, all <laughs> vouching for him right now. But I think it's a little too convenient of you know just because of the last name. And of course, he's had success at these other programs. But anyone can have success there. I don't want to discredit his accomplishments and whatnot. But right now, it just seems a little too convenient. I do want to move on to the next name. This is my personal favorite, Tony Elliott. He is the co-offensive coordinator and the running backs coach for the Clemson Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> he played at Clemson. He was a wide receiver, 40 years old, a Broyles Award winner. So that's for the nation's best assistant coach, two-time national champion. He's a guy that's due for a big job eventually. 
Jeff Scott, the other co-offensive coordinator headed to UCF or USF. Sorry. I get confused yeah. sometimes, <laughs> but Tony Elliott could be next. He's a guy that brings a lot of energy, offensive minded guy. Maybe he would be a good fit somewhere else in the ACC. Yeah. So he's kind of the Clemson's offensive coordinator position has become like Nick Saban's defensive coordinator position in terms of Jeremy Pruitt. You think about Jerry, Jeremy Pruitt going to Tennessee to be the head coach. You think about Kirby Smart going to Georgia to be the head coach. Um, but that's the, you know, Chad Morris was the offensive coordinator there at Clemson before Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. He leaves to go to SMU then Arkansas as a head coach. Now Scott's going to USF. So um, he would bring that experience from Clemson about how to do it the Clemson way. Um, I think he's clearly a really, really bright offensive mind, 40 years young, knows how to recruit. Everybody on Clemson knows how to recruit. Um, so he'd be a he'd be a good hire. The only negative I can think about is is the re- the the different level and resources that you that you see at Clemson. Um, it is it is easier to recruit and have success when you have gobs of money in college football. Clemson has that. So now how are you gonna how are you gonna replicate that success with with less of those resources at Virginia Tech. So that would be the concern. And then I guess the last person to mention, and we can do this briefly, because I do want to move on with Fuente, but for those clamoring for Bud Foster to come back, make a triumphant return, come out of retirement and coach Virginia Tech, it's just not going to happen. I just got to say that. (laughs) It would be a storybook ending beyond belief if he came back. Uh, I had the feeling after the Duke game that Fuente would get fired. Tech would go like three and eight. Fuente would get fired before the UVA game, and then Bud Foster would take over for the last game and beat UVA and ride off from the sunset one and zero as Virginia Tech's head coach and be glorious and all that stuff. And then clearly that didn't happen. But hey, maybe he'll come back twelve and zero, twelve and zero, fifteen and zero. Sorry, and, and then he'll go to Clater Lake after that. So, um, but no, that's not happening. All right. We have to imagine, because right now he's still Virginia Tech's head coach, we think. We don't know. All right. Uh Hold on. Let me check. Let me check. I'm scared. I think we're good. (laughs) I checked two minutes ago and nothing happened. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) Still Virginia Tech head coach Justin Fuente. I did check his Wikipedia page earlier today, and someone changed it to Baylor, and they gave him a, a moderate uh, fifty or five hundred thousand dollar raise, but it has since been reversed, and he's now at Virginia Tech again with his four million dollar base salary. Wikipedia is on top of their game; you can't get anything past them. It's crazy. They had the color scheme and everything, and <laughs> added a new section to his Wikipedia. But moving on. Justin Fuente, it's not set in stone that he's going to become the next head coach at Baylor. It's clear that his intentions are if he gets offered the position that he would take it. I think we can all come to that conclusion right now. However, again, anyone with cell reception in Waco, Texas, I've been talking to today, and there's a lot of names being thrown out there. 
other candidates at play, such as Dave Aranda, the LSU defensive coordinator, guy that just won the national championship. And we've already seen, you know, Joe Brady jump ship for, for the Carolina Panthers. Billy Napier at Louisiana, a guy that was at Bama and well-regarded, could jump ship and maybe go to Baylor. And then Joey McGuire. There's a big internal push right now for him to become the next head coach. He was the interim head coach after Rule left, and he's been with the rest of the staff recruiting the state. A lot of fans want to see him. If Fuente is not offered this job, he takes that plane back from Waco, Texas to Blacksburg. All the guys are coming back from break. All the recruits moved in. I mean, can you even possibly come back from this? Has the damage been done? Is his reputation completely ruined? Uh, no, I think uh, I think he has some explaining to do, certainly, to his players and his assistant coaches. Um, although I think the assistant coaches are probably more understanding considering they do the exact same job that he does um and know the ropes and all that stuff and um certainly they'll be looking to leave for a different job at some point um i th- <laughs> the the question is the relationship with Whit babcock here um is there a working relationship considering how close this seems to happening, how sudden it is, how in the dark Virginia Tech has been about, you know, Fuente's interest in this, in Baylor. So um, I think anytime you're as committed as Whit Babcock has been to Justin Fuente um, and committed in terms of $4 million a year, you're not going to be too happy when you're looking around on January 15th to leave the program. So um, that whole administration head coach relationship that seems so strong is probably pretty frayed right now. And they'd have to work to put that together. That's the main thing. The players, you know, I think you can explain to them the situation and, and I think um, him, he can reasonably sell that the re, if he doesn't take the Baylor job, it will be because the players he has coming back and the opportunity he thinks he has in 2020 and 2021. If, if Baylor was interested in him and he didn't have, and he had like his 2018 roster coming back, he'd, he'd be out the door gone. But I think he can reasonably sell to them that he looked at it for his family, for the pay raise to get closer to home, all that stuff. But he came back because he couldn't leave the players before they finished what they started. So I'm not as worried about the players. I'm just worried about the, the relationship between the Virginia tech administration and Justin Fuente. And that's the key point right there. And, you know, again, at the beginning of this podcast, I said, I'd be transparent and it's not like this is the first opportunity to fall on Justin Fuente's lap. Arkansas has reached out in the past and Justin Fuente has been completely transparent with Whit Babcock. Florida State as well. He was completely transparent through both those coaching searches and being reached out to by those universities. The problem is now it's Baylor and he hasn't said a word when it's the first time he's expressing interest in another job. I don't know if you can come back from this. And it's tough because Fuente holds all the cards. 
if Virginia Tech were to try to fire him, it's $15 million. We had that title in our podcast, the $15 million <laughs> question. If Justin Fuente is bought out by a school like Baylor, it's $3 million going into the pocket of Whit Babcock. So all the power right now is in Justin Fuente's hands. And the way that he's kind of abusing this to a certain extent and you know he can do what's best for him that you know there's no problem in exploring a better opportunity to advance yourself the real problem is the way that he's handling it and leaving behind virginia tech if he chooses to leave yeah the, the problem is the timing and how he's handling it um but i don't think it's a stretch to make the connection that he's unhappy with the support of the administration and whatever decisions are being made in terms of supporting the football program, providing them the resources they need, the staffing. Um, I don't think it's a stretch at all to look at that and say, that's the main, you know, (laughs) that's the underlying issue here with why he's looking at Baylor and in January without telling Virginia Tech while he tells Virginia Tech about Florida State two or three years ago when he's probably still feeling good about um, what the plan is from the administration to, to, to support the program going forward I don't you know I don't think it's a coincidence that he's looking around right after hiring new coaches and going through a cornerback search where he ends up with JMU's safeties coach as his quarterbacks coach. And I think that that decision probably had a lot to do with money and what Virginia Tech was willing to pay. I think you look at the recruiting staff and just the sheer number. There's been turnover there under Justin Fuente, but the numbers haven't quite grown that much. Um, so I think you can make that connection that the administration and Justin Flint are not on the same page, which leads to him looking at Baylor in the middle of January and not being upfront about it when in the past he has been. Um, and, and, and that's how we got to this position. Two more things I want to talk about if he does stay. The first is 2020. Is it fair that expectations are suddenly raised on Justin Fuente that he has to perform and that maybe an eight and four season just won't cut it because of all the turmoil that he's producing right now. I think that's, that's a hundred percent certain, um, based on the reaction of him looking around and all of that. Um, you know, we look at, you look at our board and Twitter and that's not wholly representative of the fan base, but it is in that, you know, the donors and the important people at Virginia Tech certainly aren't aren't going to be happy with him either. And um, if he doesn't if he doesn't meet expectations, certainly that uh, it kind of quickens their trigger, I guess, um, in terms of whether they're going to give him another year if, you know, he goes eight and four or something. And then I guess the the last thing, if he does stay. And I think this one is is kind of the gut punch for a lot of Virginia Tech fans. 
they just finished number 63 in the 2020 rankings. Of course, they have the Texas 2VT movement, and that's great and all, but at the end of the day, you know, not an impressive class whatsoever. Unacceptable, really, to be second to last in the ACC recruiting at a school like Virginia Tech. For next year, can you imagine if Justin Fuente comes back all the negative recruiting that every other school can do and rip apart this class. I mean, it's going to be really hard to reconcile going into a recruit's home and saying that you're committed to the program. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, I kind of think that puts the ball back in with Babcock's court. If he comes back um, in terms of, if you're truly here to stay, that we've got to make a statement that, you know, you are and restructure the contract in some form to, to, to show, you know, commitment to the program to show that he's not likely to leave anytime soon, blah, 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 maybe increase, you know, if it's giving Fuente the resources he wants while Fuente gives back some of the buyout kind of thing, um, something they'll, you know, yeah, it's if you know you, you talk about recruiting and at the end of the Frank Beamer era, era Virginia Tech dealt with negative recruiting about the obvious end of his tenure. At the end of the Bud Foster era, they've dealt with the obvious end of Bud Foster's tenure coming in terms of negative recruiting, and now, now this, and now how do you sell to the twenty twenty one class that you're going to be there? Um, for four or five years when when you've been pretty darn close to leaving um so that's if he comes back that's that's the number one question to ask is how do you convince it might be good for 2020 in terms of how you're gonna how this current team is going to perform but um 2021 and 2022 where you have 12 months and 24 months of to do for those classes is going to get interesting and again, you know, it was a class that's in the top 20 right now for 2021. And you look at the rest of the ACC Coastal and how much flux the entire Coastal has been in. You know, Justin Fuente probably had the best case to make for consistency. Uh, you look at maybe Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall, and of course, he finally gets the ACC championship and has been steadily improving. But, you know, outside of those two, maybe Pat Narduzzi, you know, there's a lot of questions around Duke, North Carolina with Mac Brown and his age and how long he's going to stay there. Georgia Tech going through new management, Miami partying too much. I mean, Justin Fuente <laughs> literally had the best recruiting pitch and, and one uh, swooping of going to Baylor or interviewing for Baylor kind of ruined that credibility. And we, we all knew that this 2020 class was going to be a small class. And then the focus was on a big monster 2021 class. They certainly have the numbers to take a big class in 2021. And they, <laughs> you could say, if you're not recruiting that many people for 2020, you're probably spending way more time recruiting 2021 kids over the last year. So they've put in a ton of effort to position, position themselves well for 2021. And it's very, like you said, arguable that all that, all that goodwill, all that momentum, all that recruiting, everything, you know, everybody takes a step back and pauses and 
you know, is, is Justin Fuente really going to be the head coach at Virginia Tech in 2023, 2024, 2025? That's a real legitimate question at this point. I do want to get into something a little happier in basketball, but before we Very do, happy. Very, very happy. <laughs> basketball school, Virginia Tech. But before we get into that, how do you see this playing out in the next few days? I think he's leaving um, for basically every reason that we just covered. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's happy with the administration support at Virginia Tech, which leads him to take an interview with Baylor in January. I think I think coming back is difficult when your boss is not going to be happy with you. Um, I think coming back is difficult when the 2021 class of negative recruiting has just been handed a whole lot of ammunition. Um you know, I just don't think you go down this road on January 15th if you're not going to take the job if you're offered. And um, especially when given his past history, when he when he has been talking about talking to Virginia Tech about Florida State and Arkansas and all that stuff and um, certainly a different level of seriousness. And I think. You know, you don't take this risk with your football program and what you expect it to be in 2020 unless you're set on taking this job if it gets offered. So I think he's gone. And you better be set that you're going to be offered the job. I think that's my biggest worry about this whole thing. My prediction, he's gone. I mean, writing's on the wall. He wants to leave. I don't think, you know, we mentioned that maybe Whip Babcock and Justin Fuente can work some sort of deal out, maybe increase the buyout that other schools have to pay if they want him in the future, that he decreases his own buyout if Whit Babcock were to terminate his contract. But I don't think there's any public relation move that could really salvage the situation. I feel like the damage has been done. And yes, maybe that's an extreme reaction to, to a certain extent, but I think that his heart, he wants to go. Big 12 is where he needs to be. And I think Virginia Tech has to move on because if he comes back, I mean, there's just so many problems that arise from that. Uh, uh, you know, there is a minority on Twitter, the loud minority that does go against Fuente and every decision he makes, wants Cornelson gone, a lot of, you know, angst towards him. And I think that's just going to continue to grow. And I'm just, you know, personally very worried for the future of Virginia Tech if he were to come back. Yeah, the fan base was already pretty divided on Justin Fuente at this point in his tenure, and this has certainly um, not not helped. You know, if you're trying to build a coalition of su- support, um, helped his case. You know, I think it all depends on how bad that bridge is burned, and if he can come back, or if you know, if he comes back and we're and he's it's just like a lame duck year and he's leaving after next year that doesn't help anybody either so um you know the other thing i think that indicates he's leaving is that family reports this out of the blue he's one of the best reporters in the business calls him the leading candidate um you know i don't think he uh reports that without being pretty certain about where he stands on baylor's pecking order so i think that means you know, he's probably going to get an offer and take the job. Let's move over to basketball. Let's I need do some it. happiness. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to keep dwelling on the negatives. 
Basketball has been awesome. Mike Young has been <laughs> terrific. I mean, this is a complete 180 from what we were just talking about. Mood shifter. But what's crazy, and I put this on Twitter yesterday, but Mike Young is six games into his Virginia Tech ACC career. He's won four of those games. James Johnson won a total of four in his entire first year. And Buzz Williams, two in his entire first year. <laughs> so what I remember about James Johnson's first year is him going 7-0 and or something. They beat Marcus Smart in Oklahoma State. I think that was a December game in Castle. Things looked great. And then they fell off the wagon. Um, now... Mike Young comes in, beats Michigan State, and has a pretty good non-conference record. Enters ACC play and is is exceeding all expectations. Um, it was probably two weeks ago on this podcast that I said <laughs> I thought they'd win um, like six or seven game ACC, five or six. Or, it was something they're rapidly approaching. Um, so I'm eating some crow there but uh just an unbelievable coaching job by mike young to to figure out how to mold this team into into a four and two in acc team after six acc games this isn't his prototypical roster um this isn't an experience it's it's crazy that they i mean not only did they win the last two games they 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 pretty much blew out nc state and blew out wake forest um so (laughs) it is a bright light in virginia tech sports right now coming for the basketball program let's briefly talk about these two games virginia tech wins 72 to 58 over nc state and nc state's no slouch 11 and 5 and you know they have a good backcourt and Virginia Tech's defense forced them to 31% shooting. The Nolly trolley goes off, 29.7 rebounds. Then you have Tyrese Radford at 6-1. Where did he come from? Because 18 points, <laughs> 9 rebounds, 2 blocks at 6-1. He's the toughest player on the court at all times. And there's just the system for Virginia tech that everyone has a role now a defined role in the beginning. You know, everyone's scrambling around where a guy's going to play. Now it's all about Nolly will get his offensive looks. Tyrese Radford's going to just pound the glass and get opportunities underneath the rim around the rim at the free throw line. Wabisa Beattie's going to be the passer. He doesn't really care about scoring. He's setting up his teammates and playing stout defense, P.J. Horn is coming in and spacing out the floor. Naheem Aline is doing whatever needs to be done. He's been in a little bit of a slump, but, you know, still a guy that can stretch the floor, shoot from three and attack the rim. Uh, and, and then the bench, Jalen Cohn, just shooting over 50% from three. Hunter Couture coming in and spelling minutes for any of the guards and playing good defense. I mean, this is just such a fun team to watch, a Mike Young coach team. And I think it was highlighted, there was a clip during the NC State game where there's four different Virginia Tech Hokies diving on the floor to save one ball from going out of bounds, and they eventually did it, but it was guys putting their bodies on the line. He, Mike, Whatever Mike Young is telling him is clearly getting through, and I think based on that, he's telling him that you're going to have to, you're gonna have to out-hustle, like, out-hustle, out-hustling every 
every, like to a different level to to uh to win games. I mean, this NC State win. I think of the two wins this week, it's probably the most important one for. And I can't believe I'm saying this for any kind of NCAA tournament bubble resume builder, um, which I think you have to say at this point, looking at their schedule and considering how down the ACC is that every game except the games against Duke, Virginia, Florida State, and Louisville are going to be toss-ups. So there's an avenue to where you could get on the bubble here. Um, But so I think this NC State win over Wake, who is awful, um, is more important. The the thing about the NC State game, they jumped out to a 10-0 start. NC State did. NC State did, yeah. So, so the final score was seventy-two to fifty-eight. So after that ten-nothing start, <laughs> Virginia Tech outscored NC State seventy-two to forty-eight, which is just ridiculous. Um, and Radford is super fun to watch. I wonder how Buzz Williams did not play him last year after needing rebounding and. It's weird to say needing height because he's six one, but he needing length. He there's no doubt he he didn't just develop the skill set um, in one year, so I feel like he could, probably could have helped him out last year, um, especially when they were playing like six or seven guys. Just to add one more, but anyway, Buzz, um, <laughs> <laughs> just unbelievable. Radford is he's if he sticks around for all four years. He is going to be like, they're going to put jerseys everywhere for him. <laughs> and he might be the all-time leader in rebounds. I don't know the exact statistic, but I mean, it feels like he's averaging a double-double every single night. Well, he, he had his double-double against Wake Forest 21-13, and 13, and he literally, on his 10th rebound, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> so, soars up and like does the one-hand rebound thing that like LeBron does when he's just trying to show off. So... Um, He's been feeling himself here over the last couple games. Um, I, w- I don't know when they do the ACC player of the week or whatever. I guess it's probably Sunday to Sunday, so you can't get it for these two games. Um, but he's certainly been <laughs> – he's a revelation, and he's he's awesome to watch. He is awesome to watch. Let's talk about the weight game too. Virginia Tech beats Syracuse early. Beats NC State. You're wondering, can they make it three in a row? Wake isn't a good team. Let's be honest here. Eight and They're seven awful. entering. They're really bad. <laughs> Eight and seven entering the game. They have a whole bunch of problems. Virginia Tech on the road, though, is a different team on the road. But it didn't matter. Once again, it's Landers Nolly getting his opportunities, taking 19 shots. Maybe not the most on point he's been. But still, you know, making his shots when he needs to. But then it's Tyrese Radford. 21 points, 13 rebounds, four steals. Not only that, you mentioned the one-handed rebound. He's posterizing seven feet tall players. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And then he's so casual about it. But it was probably one of the coolest highlight moments I've seen out of a Virginia Tech basketball player in, I don't know, five years. He's, I know I just talked about him for a while, but he's that play was just like, what just happened? I mean, that seven footer for Wake was like their only 
good player last night. Um, so, I mean, he just, he's such a weapon in how he plays. I mean, he's, he's starting to drive off the dribble a little more, but like against NC state, he's cutting to the rim and just like finishing around the rim with some crazy acrobatic layup. Um, just, you know, him and, him and BD, so unique, um, getting Cone in there and what he's done over the last, you know, three games now, dating back to the Syracuse game, just, you know, getting that, that's such a weird, like, trio of, 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 of a backcourt when you talk about BD, who doesn't score, Radford, who's, Six one and plays like he's six ten and I don't even know if you could really I guess he's a guard but he plays he plays everywhere and then Cone's like a five eight max <laughs> freshman who was like not good until the Syracuse game and now you can see him really developing so it's just a just a backcourt like looking at that on paper you can see why virginia tech was picked 14th in the acc this year but watching them on the court it's it's pretty crazy i have a good analogy for this backcourt the three-headed okay. monster they're literally the triple double you have jalen cone getting the double digit points tyrese mm-hmm. radford getting the double digit rebounds and wabisabidi getting the double digit assists so them three together on a nightly basis are hitting each category. They're the triple-double. It's three of them. Each of them get into double digits in one category. If you can get a triple-double out of your backcourt every night, I think you're going to be all right. And Maybe that's the genius of Mike Young. You know, They're still playing P.J. Horn at center for an extended period of time. So where are you going to get the rebounding from? Oh, it's it's Wabisabidi and Tyrese Radford from the guard positions that are going to give us all the rebounds we need. So, um, yeah, you can't say enough about this Virginia Tech team, and especially considering what happened in Charlottesville, <laughs> getting stomped 65-39, to 39, and now... They've won three in a row, and they look like a completely different team. I think the, the competition level is down, but most of the ACC is like that competition level. If um, you go ahead, so so I, you know, I've been talking to people <laughs> all the time now about Virginia Tech basketball, and it's like, you know, after the last three years of Buzz Williams, like he went from. You went three straight NCAA tournaments. The first one was like the year where like, okay, this is our year to make the tournament. So every game there was super important. The second year was like, okay, this is the, you know, we got a good shot here. So this is, and then the third year is like, this is our best team ever. You know, go to the Sweet 16. I was at the Sweet 16 game. It was like the most intense 40 minutes of basketball, just like, just like a white knuckle fist fight for 40 minutes, just super intense, the top level of college basketball. And then you get like Mike Young, everybody leaves, you get a bunch of freshmen <laughs> and you're like, all right, after the last three years, I'm fine with like chilling out go five and 15, get some nice pieces, be excited about two or three years from now. And here we are in January. <laughs> <laughs> just hyping and, them up. <laughs> and, 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 and like, you just, you like, you have to watch every game. You have to, like, it's very, I don't want to say very likely. It's 
there's potential for Virginia Tech. I think they're like first four out right now or something yeah. um, on Joe Lenardi. So if you were trying to have a nice, peaceful January and March of watching basketball, um, it's positioning to not be that way this year, surprisingly, which which is awesome. And hats off to Mike Young and all the players for for doing that. They got a lot of work to do. Um, and all these games against, you know, the bottom, what is it, bottom 12 of the ACC are toss-up, so they could lose any of them. But um, pretty encouraging right now, I'd say. Yeah, and with Virginia losing and Clemson beating North Carolina and Duke back-to-back, anything is possible in the ACC. So it's going to be exciting to watch these future games. And you you really can't count them out in any game anymore. Uh, and I think that's the most exciting part. You want to see them competitive, but... Certainly, it looks very promising. Saturday on, or Syracuse on Saturday at Castle Coliseum. Should feel good yeah. about this one. Big game. I mean, they just played them. They just beat them in the Carrier Dome. Yeah. The thing with about Odell. So, with, with Odell watching, um, maybe Tech will have a new football coach by Saturday. Um, <laughs> um, but the thing with Syracuse, I think, is, you know, they're not as good as they're not as naturally good as past Syracuse teams, but Bayheim's still a Hall of Fame coach, so they're going to be really good probably by the end of the year. So two wins against them will get better as the year goes on, and playing them in the first two weeks of January is huge. I think if you played Syracuse the last week of the season, That's they'll be they'll be they'll be all they'll be as good as you know any other Syracuse team. But right now they. Clearly, based on what happened up in the Carrier Dome where Virginia Tech beat them, you know, they can be had, and now they'll come to Castle Coliseum where Virginia Tech's got a got a nice home court advantage, all that stuff. So um, I think this is a huge two-game stretch here with Syracuse, and then they play Carolina, I think, next Wednesday at home. And Carolina's not good at all this year, so they could get two wins. I think a split would be nice there to be you know six and two or five and three if they split in the acc um and then they kind of get screwed by the acc i don't know if you look <laughs> at the schedule but after the two home games they go they go to boston college on a saturday i think come back to blacksburg and then go to miami for a tuesday night game at least it'll be warm it's but it's the two <laughs> farthest road trips yeah. in the whole season, and they're putting them in a span of three days. Um, so that's why I think getting a split or winning both games here at home is he- going to be huge because I don't think you can count with that road trip um, on winning those games. Yeah, I wonder if Mike Young's going to pack his popcorn beforehand or if he can find them in both Boston and Miami. But we'll see. Last thing I want to mention about Wake Forest. Honorable mention, we have to mention John Ogiaco because this is one of the most impressive, non-impressive performances that I've seen. I was wondering where you were going with this. (laughs) Wake Forest has a lot of height, okay? They have a seven-footer, SAR, that, you know, clogs the middle of the paint and it was clear that mike young wanted to attack and played brandon johnson a forward and john ogiaco the tallest guy on the team john ogiaco is a freshman and played nine minutes and had two blocks that's pretty impressive right but the most impressive part of his stat line is he fouled out in nine minutes five thousand in nine minutes 
two blocks, five fouls. So you could reasonably say, I don't know if they made any of the shots on these fouls, but you could reasonably say he stopped seven possessions at the rim. So, you know, nine minutes, P.J. Horn gets 30. That's pretty, uh, you know, mission accomplished for John. We're going to need a little more points, maybe a couple rebounds here or there from you, John. Um, but uh, He had one offensive rebound and two rebounds overall. Two re- okay, so maybe, you know, all seriousness, he's going to be good down the road. But um, so yeah, good. yeah. But, you know, that seven footer for Wake Forest is like their only good player. Um, so not a great matchup for him. And he did what he could. And, you know, you could say seven, seven possessions stopped. So maybe he prevented like 10 to 12 points. Yeah, that was the difference. I want to say one last thing about that Wake Forest game. Sure. It should be illegal or it should be illegal against the rules in the ACC to play games at Wake Forest at nine o'clock. Yeah, that was <laughs> because brutal. they are brutal and they're boring and there's nobody <laughs> there. And it's time get give Wake Forest a bunch of seven p.m. tips and, and you know you get a little bit of atmosphere in there. Don't have to wait till nine o'clock for it to tip. Which of course, if you're watching on the ACC network, the Pitt Louisville game goes over time. So, like, it's just. Don't play any more nine o'clock games at Wake Forest. It's like ball playing. You don't want to play any nine o'clock games at Boston College or Miami either. So let's just keep those, you know, earlier in the evening. All right. I don't want to go on too much longer, but we have a bunch of questions, a lot of questions. I wrote down <laughs> a, a few of them. I don't know if we can hit them all. And we'll again, go quick. Yeah, we'll go quick. We let's just jump into it. Let's jump all into right. it. Hokey in Florida 28. What happens if Fuente doesn't get the Baylor job? What does Witt do? We covered, we talked about this earlier, but uh, they're going to have to have some conversations about what, why did Fuente want that job? Why did he not take that job? And what can Virginia Tech do to? So to get Fuente what he wants, and also what can Fuente do to give Babcock what he wants? VPI 97. How ignorant is Fu or his agent by making this Baylor interest public? Did they think Virginia Tech fans would beg him to stay? I don't know about this one. Um, I don't know who leaked it. If it was... If, if Baylor did it... I don't think Baylor did. I would say that it would be Justin Fuente's agent talking to Pete Thamel because he yeah. would just report that out of the blue. But I think maybe they were trying to strong arm Virginia Tech initially. But I mean, the more you look into it, the more it just feels like this was genuine interest and that he genuinely wanted to leave and maybe making that public push to make it happen sooner than later. I don't think there was any downside once it got to the point it's at it was at last night, which is he's interviewing. He's hopping on a plane in the morning and going to interview. I don't think it there was a downside if you're angling to leaking angling to get more resources or whatever from Virginia Tech to leaking that at that point. because um, you probably feel pretty comfortable about your chances to get that job. And then so you're like, okay, so either I'm gonna go down there and get the Baylor job or leaking this tech is going to come back and and basically make the decision easier for me to come back um 
doesn't look like that happened. Yeah, it doesn't so, look like the best strategy. <laughs> so again, I think F- Justin Fuente will be the head coach of Baylor. Hokies kill Canes. What steps can VT Athletics take realistically to get ourselves on better financial footing moving forward? And then his second, or we can get into the second question later, but what steps can Virginia Tech Athletics take to get better in in financial footing? I mean, this goes to, this goes back to the drive for 25 in in a whole much wider, longer discussion about the Hokie Club, but if if you want Virginia Tech to be on better financial footing, you have to join the Hokie Club and you have to donate money to them. Um, that's the way it is, particularly if you want to be able to pay coaches at the level that it takes to pay them if to get better offensive coordinators, if that's what you want, to get better recruiters, if that's what you want. You've got 60-something P5 programs that are competing for the best coaches and um if you want virginia tech to be able to afford them you have to donate um that's 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 it um i don't think there's there's not any revenue streams out there now that the acc has launched acc network there's no big revenue streams that virginia tech is going to be able to tap into that's going to all of a sudden give them you know, a $50 million boost. Unless the Amazon HQ in Alexandria, Virginia Tech campus, get a few notable alumni in about, you know, four or five years whenever it's released. And then, you know, you wait a couple of years, they make millions and millions of dollars for Amazon and they're sending spaceships out to the moon and Mars and Saturn and maybe developing a cancer cure, making billions of dollars. Outdoing yeah. Tesla, making a new brand of electronic cars and whatnot. Yeah. That's so when not, Virginia if, Tech's back on top. If it's not going to be grassroots donations from people like me and you joining the Hokie Club, it's going to be, you know, the really successful Virginia Tech graduates donating a boatload of money. Yeah. Um, so I think the better avenue is for everybody to join the Hokie club. And then if you are a very successful Virginia tech alum to also donate money. (laughs) Yeah. I think they just need more participation and then, you know, things will get better. But currently I don't think the participation is very good. Next question from Kenny powers, 2014. You want to do, you want to do Hokies kill canes. The second question. I was going to get to that after this one. Okay, cool. Kenny Powers 2014, what caused the Jerry Kill departure? I'll answer this one first. So we didn't mention it earlier, but Jerry Kill is heading to TCU to work with Gary Patterson, where he was the best man of Gary Patterson at his wedding. So they have a very deep bond. And people are wondering, why is he leaving Fuente? I thought everything was working out. He was the savior. He was an off-field coach that basically changed everything around and got all the praises everyone sung his praises and now he's leaving for tcu what's what's going on well i found out (laughs) that this has been a long time in the works i thought maybe this was a spur of the moment thing where he was just offered the job but as it turns out this is a few months into the works gary patterson is one of his closest friends we all know jerry kill doesn't have the best health you know, he has a lot of health concerns right now. Um, that's why he stepped away from coaching. And this was kind of 
dipping his toes into the water, seeing if he could hang around a program and make an impact. And I think a dream of his has always been to reunite with his best friend. And I don't blame him, but it is a big loss for Virginia Tech. The thing is, I don't think Gary Patterson poaches Jerry Kill from Justin Fuente, who he's also close with, presumably, given his time at TCU. Fuente's time at TCU. I don't think Gary Patterson makes that offer unless Jerry Kill wants to leave Virginia Tech. So read the tea leaves there. (laughs) Um, Jerry Kill, I think, was ready to move on from Virginia Tech by the end of the season. You you can read whatever you want into that, but um, yeah, I, I... I think this was Jerry, you know, I don't think Jerry Kill takes jobs lightly, and I don't think he would leave Justin Fuente within three months unless he was just completely sold on needing a new opportunity. And last point on Jerry Kill departure, I know it happened today, the same day that Fuente is interviewing for Baylor. These things are independent of each other because Jerry Kill is leaving does not indicate that all of a sudden Justin Fuente is going to leave or that because Justin Fuente was planning on interviewing at Baylor that Jerry Kill was all of a sudden going to take the TCU job. Yeah, there's Again, no, there's yeah. no, like if these were related, Jerry Kill would be following Fuente to Baylor to be the same role at Baylor. Um, right. But I think the TCU things for Kill has been happening a little, you know, as you mentioned, further out than the Fuente and Baylor thing. Going back to Hokies Kill Keens. If Fuente stays, how much does the loss of Jerry Kill hurt us? Are they likely to seek a replacement, or would those funds be better spent elsewhere? I'll take the first crack. I think if Justin Fuente comes back, it is a big loss for Virginia Tech. It's easy to point to Jerry Kill, the time he came in, and all the turnaround, Hendon Hooker, using the tight ends, having a reformed offensive line, a run game finally, Everywhere on the offense got better once Jerry Kill was technically appointed. Um, But he was hanging around since the start of the season. So even through the turmoil, Jerry Kill was technically around or giving advice, maybe not on campus. But overall, I think that having a person in the ear of Fuente who tends to be a bit stubborn when making big decisions is a good thing and someone that Fuente respects. And I don't think you can find that anywhere. I don't think you can just pluck out a former head coach that maybe is on his you know, last legs before entering retirement. Um, so I don't know what... If Fuente were to stay, I don't know who you can sig single out and just say he's going to be the replacement. And like we've been saying this entire podcast, it's January 15th right now. There's not a lot of guys out there. Yeah. You know, Jerry killed <laughs> joined the program in the middle That's of fair. the season. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't know who it would be. Uh, you know, the thing with Kill is that he has history with Fuente exactly. and as somebody that he trusts immensely. You know, you're not just going to hire somebody to that role that you don't have history with and don't trust immensely. So, you know, I don't, you can dig through Fuente's past and see if there's another guy out there. Um, but 
you know, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, that just felt like something that worked, that worked out. I mean, I remember even when Kill was hired, Fuente had been talking about like, yeah, kind of like we've been chatting about it for a little bit, but weren't sure whether he would leave being the athletic director at Southern Illinois. So it kind of just came together for him. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think. I don't think there would be another obvious candidate. And um, so I guess they would redirect those funds elsewhere. Yeah. Maybe to support staff recruiting, whatever, maybe down the line that I, w- I think they wouldn't bring anyone in, in that specific role, special assistant to the head coach in 2020, maybe 2021 and beyond. If again, there, if Justin Fuente staying. So there's a question. 175,000, I think was kills salary is the value of a Jerry Kill person greater than two recruiting staffers at 70,000? I would think so. I think his value is higher than that. But, I mean, what can you do at this point, you know? But there's not another Jerry Kill out there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Riley JM said the same thing. Replacement for Kill just answered. Kenny Powers once more. Why were the players kept in the dark? Wouldn't you think finding out via social media is Bush League? I'll take the first crack. Again, we said we would be transparent. Um, Players, again, did not know this was happening. Still don't know at this very moment um, that whatever Fuente is doing, nor other staff members. Why were they kept in the dark? Your guess is as good as mine. You would think that if Fuente had a good exit strategy, he would implore it. But right now, I think he's kind of operating with the same urgency that Baylor is and kind of showing his priorities. He wants to get that job, and right now his priorities aren't his players. So obviously, finding out through social media is the worst possible way to find out anything. You would think that these players deserve more, but that's just the reality of the situation. It's just unfortunate. No coach is going to notify all of their players. That's when true, they're too. interviewing for a job anywhere. Um, that's, just, <laughs> that's just, I mean, if you want something to leak, tell all your players um, that you're interviewing elsewhere. So you're not going to do that. Just like you wouldn't tell for your job. You wouldn't tell half the company that you were interviewing elsewhere either and expect it not to get back to your boss. So I don't think it's like, I don't think it's, it's, it's normal for players to not know until something happens. Um, and, and, finding out being social media about it i think is um it's related to that but also like they probably would have had a players meeting today they'd be around the facility if they were on campus this is the fact that they're finding out via social media is probably more likely due to the fact that they're on winter break right now and not on campus versus any other time um where they would they'd be hanging out around the facility and it would be very easily for, for Babcock or any coach, any John Boleyn, somebody to get everybody in the same room and inform them of what's happening and all that stuff. But, you know, Trey Turner and Hindenhooker were at the basketball game last night at Wake Forest. So, you know, there's no real 
you know, you're not going to group text 85 people. Um, so I think, I think it's normal completely how, how this has all went down as far as notifying players. Yeah. I was thinking, maybe I was thinking more in terms of Jerry kill and if he's leaving that he would say something, but again, everyone's on break. You can't round all up. You can't round up everyone and say, you know, goodbye, well, whatever. I think I don't in a think perfect Jer- world. <laughs> I don't think Jerry kill is the type of person to like <laughs> care about giving a nice heartfelt goodbye to people. He, uh, says what he wants when he wants and doesn't care about what anybody thinks. So I think he's, he's definitely an Irish goodbye type guy. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I mean, this is like his sixth job in like the past, I don't know, eight years or something. So yeah, might be out of something. (laughs) Um, Next question. D Kaiser five. How are the players taking this? And with the new players coming in tomorrow? Oh man. Do you see any current or new players leaving? Players are not happy, obviously. Um, not much you can do about it. Just kind of have to let the process play out and then deal with the consequences of it. I think, again, big explanation if if Justin Fuente comes waltzing through those Merriman doors and is just like, what's up, guys? You ready, <laughs> ready for 2020? Ready to get this uh, ACC Coastal ring? Hard, um, smart, tough. <laughs> with the new players coming in tomorrow, I feel the worst for them. I mean, I feel really bad for everyone in general, but specifically those players coming in, they, you know, less than, what was it, a month ago, they signed their letters of intent, basically shutting down their recruitments, binding them to Virginia Tech, and they have this whole vision of what's going to happen. For the defensive recruits, they didn't know who their coaches were going to be for the longest time. Last week, the defensive line recruits learned that maybe I have a chance at the NFL because we have Bill Tierlink and Errol Tapp. And then one week later, they don't even know if those are going to be their coaches. So I feel really bad for them. I'm sure, you know, maybe a few of them, despite what they're saying on Twitter right now and being firmly committed, a few of them could explore getting out of their LOI. But yeah, in general, if justin fuente leaves if he stays there's going to be attrition regardless yeah it's uh it's the decision he made just like we've been talking about it's that that's a strong indicator that he's very very serious about this about taking the baylor job so um you know any coaching change is hard so i'm sure you know i think i saw dax tweeting Trey Turner tweeting a couple of things that made it seem like they're they're ready to keep working no matter who's the coach, which is good, but I'm sure there are other people um, not as thrilled about the situation. And um, especially if you were thinking about think even remotely thinking about transferring, um, you know, a coaching change kind of gives you that avenue to, 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 to make it you know, a little more worthwhile, especially with the waiver process and how they're handing them out for coaching changes and all that. So, um, <laughs> I was ready to get all into, uh, 2020 projections and planning and all that stuff as well. But I think the next couple of weeks are going to be quite interesting in Blacksburg. Very interesting. D Kaiser five also asks, any news from Whit Babcock? What's his stance on this? I think if you look at his Twitter page and you look under his likes, 
like you mentioned with Dax Hollyfield and Trey Turner, he's been liking those messages, which would seem to indicate that he's subtly putting out into the Twitter sphere that he is not very happy or pleased with Justin Fuente right now. Witt is was left in the dark and is kind of working through options right now. And I think all options are being evaluated. I think the most difficult question to ask is, you know, what what, what is his source of power knowing that if Fuente comes back, there's a $15 million bounty that he must pay if he really is that upset with him. So that's probably not going to be the case. What probably doesn't choose to terminate Justin Fuente. How do they resolve this? I don't know. I really don't. That's that's the biggest question moving forward if Justin Fuente returns to Blacksburg. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's number one thing. It's you know, you football coaches are good at coaching football. So like on the field, developing players practice games they'll be able to like tunnel vision that but um it's everything else around the program that would be quite awkward and tense and not exactly the best environment um so they would wit and justin would have a lot of a lot of making up to do um if he were to come back on this i mean like i said earlier wit has stood by fuente for the last four years stood by him after he went six and seven stood by us so stood by him after they started two and two, um, and is paying him four four million a year. Um, I don't know what his actual salary is, but you know that's a that's you don't want your guy you're paying four million dollars a year to be interviewing for other jobs at a terrible timing for the program and the athletic department in general. So. Um, Fuente has put Whip Babcock in a tough position, and I'm sure he's not happy about it. Last question before we wrap things up. It's been a, an extremely long one, but... Uh, this is what happens when your football coach threatens to leave in January. Any last-minute updates before no, we get it, to this last question? It is now 9.06 p.m. on January 15th, and Justin Fuente remains the head coach at Virginia Tech. <laughs> I've been extremely stressed out this entire podcast. <laughs> but uh, last question, DC Hokie 14, late submission. What coaches stay with a new hire recruits current players? So if Justin Fuente were to go to Baylor and a new guy comes in, what recruits would stick? What current players? Maybe what staff members? Yeah, he asked that. So here's the thing. If Justin Fuente were to go to Baylor, you would have to think... His boy band of James Scheibest, Brad Cornelson, uh, Adam Lechtenberg, Vance Weiss. Those are the type of guys that are like shoe-ins to go with Fuente. Uh, a guy like Bill Tierlink that doesn't really have an affiliation with Virginia Tech would be another guy that would probably go. In terms of Daryl Tapp, maybe Jafar Williams, uh, Tracy Clay's. Justin Hamilton and Ryan Smith, those guys don't really have ties to Justin Fuente. Maybe Tracy Clays has the most ties and maybe he's seen enough in Justin Hamilton that he wants to bring him, but I doubt it. It seemed more like Bud Foster's decision to make him defensive coordinator. So I would figure of what I'd name six coaches 
that whoever comes in would definitely interview each one of those six. They would not necessarily be retained by any stretch. And with money that Baylor would pay to Virginia Tech, $3 million to get Justin Fuente, some of that money would be used to buy out some of the assistants if whomever is coming in would want to assemble his own staff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think you, you covered it. The, the guys that have been with Fuente forever would would be very strong candidates to follow him. Um, the one thing that could throw that off is guys that they want to keep. No, I don't think Rule is taking his entire staff to the NFL. So like that, that McGuire guy that they're thinking about hiring um, instead of Fuente would be a candidate to they clearly think high enough of him to consider him for the head coaching job and probably suggest keeping him around. So that could throw some things off. Tierlink mentioned, you know, he came to Virginia Tech not because he loves Virginia Tech, but because he wanted to work with Justin Fuente. Um, so he could he could go to Baylor, but I could also see I could see that not um, not really working out. And I think if Fuente is going to go to Baylor, he's probably going to need some Texas some Texas ties there, um, which is probably why Justin Hamilton doesn't work, which gets really awkward for Virginia Tech, considering he just became the defensive coordinator, but he doesn't really have a lot of experience to land on his feet at the same level job somewhere else. So it's just a whole mess um, as far as the guys that aren't Justin Fuente guys and what to do particularly when you're talking about Hamilton and Daryl Tapp, who are Virginia Tech legends and alums and everybody wants to treat them right. And they're largely at the beginning of their coaching careers. And now... Like, who knows? Like, who, who knows? Like, what do you tell Daryl Tapp, who's like the epitome of the Virginia Tech defense? And like, you just hired him to his first full-time coaching job. And like three weeks later, you're like, we love you, Daryl, but like the new coach is coming in and needs and wants to hire his own defensive line. Like, uh, it's just that's yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be so interesting to navigate these waters over the next few weeks with all these decisions. If he stays, if he goes, there's going to be a lot of decisions that need to be made. Recruits, current players, we kind of touched on that in some earlier questions. So, Doug, any final thoughts on anything that we covered tonight? No, I'm we... thought out. <laughs> I'm thought out. Yeah. We're at, I'm, we're at, what, two hours now? I don't know what we're at, but... Um, uh, one one forty. Yeah, so, but, I mean, no. We just have to wait and see. I suspect it will be resolved by this time tomorrow which is thursday the 16th um because like we talked about there's not much you know there's people arriving on campus expecting to see their head coach um so and you know the one thing about fuente is he knows that and he's not he's not oblivious to that and he'll make he'll make a decision and baylor knows that too they'll make a decision fairly quickly 
Well, that'll do it for us tonight. It's going to be so interesting to see our attitude, our mood, what we know for next podcast, because right now (laughs) we are refreshing Twitter every five seconds, waiting for this news to drop. A lot of people grasping to straws and nobody really knows what's going on right now. So one last thing um, before we wrap up, but um, (laughs) we talked about all this you know, Dalton Keene, congratulations on a great oh. Virginia Tech career. <laughs> quickly, that quickly. Was the, uh, that was the other big news. Big loss oh. for Virginia Tech. It, but now we don't know who's coming back. But theoretically, it would open up a big spot for Nick Gallo. We'll mention Dalton Keene, uh, Blackshear, the transfer from Rutgers, maybe even Ryan Smith in the next <laughs> podcast. We'll do a little brief mention of them. But this one was dedicated, obviously, to Point Day basketball mike young and your guys's questions but to everyone listening thank you so much it's been a long one hopefully you break it up into two separate listening two three four nine (laughs) Um, but anyways we'll see you guys in the next one and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.